Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We all want happiness, right? Yeah, we're, we're all pursuing happiness. Like it's in our constitution or the Declaration of Independence, like the pursuit of happiness. Like we, we're, we're seeking that. And I'm curious, when you think about Christmas... What are the things that like immediately come to mind when you think about like happiness at Christmas time? I'm just curious if it's like decorations or lights, or if it's getting together with family or food, or if it's kids like ripping open presents on Christmas morning. That's what I think of. Like kids on Christmas morning coming down the stairs, like, yeah, like that's for me like the quintessential picture of Christmas. And, and I'm curious, like these these kinds of things, like they bring happiness, right? Like, they stir this, this longing for, like, yeah, this is what I want things to be like. Christmas is about this kind of thing, it, and it feels good and glad, right? Like, that's, that's the kind of thing we, we think of. And, and I think that's right and good. I think what our scripture is going to show us is that maybe this word happiness doesn't quite get at it, though. And, and I'm baiting you here just a little bit. Like, I threw up happiness, right? But, like, there's something more there's something more that this text points to. There's something deeper. It's this. Joy. Joy. That's what I want to look at today. Now, the word joy doesn't really show up, and there's, there's rejoicing, like Mary mentions that in her song, but um, I want to go after this idea of joy. So we're in this series, we're in this Christmas series called It's Him, and we're looking at the four primary themes of Advent. We're looking at hope, joy, love, and peace. So today, we're going to come to joy. And, and we're going to see that in this, Mary is building on or, or living in this reality of joy. And, and, and I want us to see that all of this is centered on Jesus. Like, that's what the goal of our series is. We want to center our focus back on Jesus. We want to see that it's from him that these things come. So it's from him joy comes. So that's what I want to look at today. Now, before we go too deep into all of this, let, let's define, what are we really talking about here? Like, what, what is joy? Well, here's my definition for joy. It is a deep internal state of being content and filled. It's a deep internal state of being content and filled. Maybe to contrast this with happiness, like happiness is a feeling. It's that feeling of, of pleasure or gladness, like, oh, yeah, things are good. Like, that's, that's the feeling of it. And often that comes from our circumstances. Kids opening presents on Christmas morning, right? Like, happiness comes from something. I want to contend to you that joy is something internal, not external. It, it's happening inside of us, and it's this state of being, not just a feeling. It leads to a feeling, but it is an actual, like, state of being, that's primarily about contentment, about filling, about being at rest. That, that's what I think this joy idea is all about. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to explore what is this joy and why can we have it or how can we have it. So I think there are three reasons that we're going to see we can have joy from this text. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. 
I want us to look at verses 46 through 55. This is Mary's song. If you kind of grew up in a liturgical church, you probably heard that the like, more formalized name, the Magnificat, the, the Latin version of it. That's what this is. We're looking at Mary's song around the birth of Jesus. Now, um, to recap a little bit here, what, what's happened so far is that Mary, she's, she's a lowly kind of average, ordinary kind of person, and suddenly an angel shows up. And he says, you are favored. You are favored by God. You're going to bear a son. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him Jesus. And he, he is going to save his people. Now she's like, wait, wait, wait. How does this happen? Like, I'm not married yet. Like, how can this be? And he's like, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and he's going to help you conceive. And so, like, she's like, Okay, and the first thing she does is she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is pregnant in her old age with a man who would be called John, John the Baptist. And they're cousins, they're related. And so she goes to visit, and our interaction today happens when they kind of show up, they greet each other, and she realizes, like, something special has happened here. And that's their dialogue. That's what Elizabeth is like, I know what's happening, and God's doing something miraculous here. And we get, therefore, Mary's words that follow. So what I would like to do is I'd like to reread our text, and then we're going to kind of pick apart some of these reasons why we can have joy. So, verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So we get Mary's song here, and I want to pick apart a couple of things. So I'm going to have you go real quick, now look at verse 48 again, and we're going to see the first reason why I think we can have joy. So verse 48, here's what she says. The Lord, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Then look at verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And then 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. And so what we see here is, is that Mary is actually reflecting both on her life and the interaction of, there we go, hopefully that's better. She's interacting with this idea of like what God is doing in her life, but then also in the life of Israel. And so what she says is like, he has been mindful of me and my humble state. You see, she, again, is an ordinary person. She's not wealthy. She doesn't come from a position of power, prestige, or status, like, she's someone who's just like everybody else. And she's... I'm 
I'm going to try and talk again and see how this goes. Okay, good. <laughs> Those guys are good. They know what they're doing. I, I trust it. So anyway, she, she's interacting with this like, reality that God, God is doing something in her life as a humble person. She's lowly, and yet she has received favor. She's received favor from him. Like God has shown up in her life and says, you are favored, and I'm going to do something through you despite your position. And what we see is that God is, is doing something different than the way the world normally operates. And, and here's what I want you to see. God sees the lowly. God sees the lowly person. And, and you know, picture it. Like she's, she's a humble, ordinary servant kind of girl, and yet she is going to give birth to the Messiah. Like God sees the lowly. He's giving her favor. Even though the way the world works, like she shouldn't really warrant it, Right? Like, that's, that's what's happening here. So, what, what God is doing, he's, he sees her. He sees the lowly. Now, if you kind of remember and think back to, like, your life, and, and particularly, like, school time, if you kind of step back, and we used this image before, like, the, the cafeteria, all the cliques start to form, right? You got your circles of, of people, and, and all the kids, they, they kind of gravitate towards their friends or whatever, but there's often the one or two kids who really don't have anybody. They sit at a table by themselves. They, they feel kind of left out. They feel on the outside. They, they feel like, man, they're over here and, and nobody sees them. And maybe, maybe that was you. Maybe you felt like that person. Or maybe at different moments in your life, you have been that person. You felt on the outside. You felt left out. God sees you. God sees us when we are on the outside, when we are in a low state, when we don't really have what the world's looking for. God sees us. And here's how I know that. There's a story in, in the Old Testament, you know, and, and Mary's reflecting on the Old Testament, remembering some of these stories, particularly Abraham. Well, Abraham, he was given this promise that he was going to be the father of many nations, but he's old, and, and his wife was barren. Like, they haven't had any children, but God promises, like, I'm going to give you a son. But time passes, and time passes, and nothing's happening. So they decide to take matters in their own hands. And what they do is they take their servant, Hagar, and, and, and he has sex with her, and, and they, she produces a, a child. But this isn't the way that God wanted it to be. And Sarah gets jealous. And so what she does is she casts, it, casts out Hagar and her son. And, and leaves them out in the wilderness and said, just, you can't be here anymore. You've you got to leave. And she leaves them to fend for themselves, but really she leaves them to die. And sure enough, comes a moment where Hagar is like, this is it. I, it's over. Like, I have nowhere else to turn. And God shows up. He shows up. He sees her. And he provides. He rescues her. He provides them with some water and a way out. And, and he takes care of them. And here, Hagar is the only person in the Bible who gives God a name. And what does she call him? The one who sees me. Beer Lahairoi, the one who sees me. God sees us at our lowest points. He sees us despite all of the things that like, might you know, get in the way from, from other people seeing us. Like, this is the way that God operates. So human beings, we, we sometimes just like our, our, our box. We like things convenient. We like things easy. And, and what we see is that oftentimes people, we'll, we'll, just, we'll over, overlook some folks. 
There are people on street corners, they're they're houseless, and our tendency is to avert our eyes. Like we don't see people sometimes. But God sees people. He sees everybody. He sees people regardless of their standing or status. And he cares for them. That's what he did with Hagar. God sees you. God sees me. God sees all of us. But notice, too, that like what Mary's talking about is not only does he see, he provides, but he's turning things upside down. He takes those who are in positions of power and status, who have everything, and says, no, 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 we're going we're to bring you humbled. We're going to bring you down here. And we're going to lift up those who don't have. And he's turning things over. And what God is doing is he's giving everyone access. He's turning things upside down so that everyone has access to him, to his goodness, to what he's doing. God sees the lowly. And Mary captures that. She's experiencing it. She's down here, and yet God gives her favor. That's who he is. That's the way that he operates. God, God sees all of us. He sees us. He turns things upside down. But that's not all that he does. So when he sees us, he's doing something. So I want you now to look down at verses 49 and 53. Verse 49 and 53. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Then 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent away the rich empty-handed. So, like, here, we're, we're talking about this turning upside down. And what does God do? He sees people, but then he provides. Just like the Hagar story, he's giving good things to people. He's filled the hungry with good things. He has done great things for me. Mary's saying that. Like, what does God do when he sees them? He does good things for people. He does good things for people. This is the second reason I think we can have joy. Not only does he see us, even in our lowly state, he's, he's doing good things for us. And, and that's what Mary's pointing to. Like, she herself is experiencing that. Like, he's given me favor. I get to bear this child. Like, that's a privilege. And he's, he's allowing me this blessing. He's doing great things for me. But she's also reflecting, again, back on the Old Testament, back on how God has interacted with his people. And over and over again, God has provided. He has shown up for Israel. He has come through in in miraculous ways for his people. He does good things. And this is what he's promised. He does good things for people. This This is the way that he is. This is the way that he operates. He wants to do good. And so one example is back to Abraham's family. As they're expanding, they become a great nation, just as God promised but they become oppressed. They're they're in slavery, but God rescues them. He pulls them out of Egypt and sends them on their way through the wilderness, and he's taking care of them. But there comes a time where it's like, okay, we were in Egypt. We we had our food. We had our fill. We, we We were slaves, but we could eat. Now we're out here. We have nothing to eat. We came out here to die. But God, what are you going to do? And what does he do? He provides. Each morning, they wake up, there's bread on the ground that God has sent from the skies. It's called manna. What is it? We don't know, but it's bread. And like that's, they, they, they wake up every morning, they're able to collect bread. 
There's quail that he gives to them. He, he provides water from a rock for them. Like, he shows up. When they are at their greatest need, they have nothing to eat, nothing to drink, what does God do? He gives them good things. He fills the hungry. This is the way that God operates. He provides good things for his people. I'm curious, how has God come through for you? If you were to pause and kind of rewind the tape and, and think back on your life, like where have there been moments where God has provided for you, that he's come through, he's given you good things, like think on that just right now. Even come, bring to mind, like what is it that God has done for me? How has he come through? How has he provided? How has he given me good things? Where are my blessings? Like what's coming to your mind? And is that bringing joy? But I'm curious, maybe there's some of you, and you're feeling like, okay, maybe he's done some good things, but I'm having a really hard time coming up with it right now. Like, it's just feeling like there's, there's, there's probably good things there, but like, I can't see it. Like, there's just so many other bad things in the way. Like, I just, I can't cut through that. Like, is there anything? May I offer you something? What did we just say? God sees you. And he sees you right now in that. God sees your hardness. He sees the brokenness. He sees the things that aren't the way they're supposed to be. He sees that and he is with you right now. Just like he was with Hagar. Just like he was with the nation of Israel in the wilderness. He sees you. He is with you. And that is his goodness. I don't know how God's going to work moving forward. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to provide for you. But I know that he is solid, steadfast, and faithful. He is with you. He sees you. He's right there next to you in all of it. And he will go with you through it. God's presence is with you. That's his promise. That's his goodness. That is what he commits himself to. He sees you and he's with you. So if you're having trouble coming up with the good things, here's the one good thing I can say. He is with you in it right now. There's his goodness. And I do think he has more goodness to, to, to reveal and to show and to bring for you, but he is with you in it because he sees you and he wants to bring good things. So if that's true, these are the first two reasons. God sees you, sees us in our lowly position, and he's bringing good things. I think these things lead to joy, but that's not all. And I realize that kind of sounds like a game show host kind of thing. Like, that's not all. No, But there is. There is, there is one more really important thing. It's like the grand prize, like the brand new car, whatever. There's one more thing that I know he brings. Look down with me at verses 50, 54, and 55. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What we see here is this beautiful word, mercy. Mary is reflecting on how God has shown up in the past, how he's showing up right now, and mercy is what comes to her mind. He's merciful. God gives us mercy. He shows mercy just like he promised. 
And, and what we see, back to the Old Testament, this story here, let's talk about the story of the judges. So after the Israelites, they come into the land, they take possession of it, they settle, but things don't go the way they're supposed to. And the people, they wander away. They kind of do their own thing. They start worshiping other gods. And, and so God's like, all right, I'll, I'll back up. And sure enough, other nations come in. And they begin to oppress them. And there's war and, and poverty and brokenness. And, and so they cry out, God, do something. Help us, like, please. And he shows up in mercy. He shows up for them. They didn't deserve it. They wandered away from him. He let them go. But he comes back to them. There is his mercy. He is merciful to his people. And not just to Israel, but to the world. Fast forward, let's go to the story of Jonah. Jonah was the guy who was sent to the town called Nineveh. Nineveh was a corrupt city. It was messed up, brokenness, like this was not the place that you wanted to go. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with it, so we ran away. And God does all these things with the fish and, and brings him back. And so finally Jonah goes, but he kind of goes begrudgingly. Fine, I'll, I'll tell them about you. I'll tell them about your mercy, but they're not going to accept it. They shouldn't, and they should burn. He tells them about God, about his mercy, and they turn. They repent. They're like, yes, we, we have messed up, and, and we come to you, Lord. And God extends them mercy. To this corrupt city, the worst of the worst, these people who don't deserve it, God shows mercy. This is who he is. This is the way that he operates. But it doesn't stop just there. And it wasn't just to people in the past, and it's not just to Mary. God is doing something even bigger. So look down at verse 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. God my Savior. The promise that I think is on Mary's mind most is the promise of one who would come to be the Messiah. This person from the line of David who would show up and rescue the people. He would show up and provide them a way out. He would rescue them from their oppression and slavery. And they pictured it as political, physical. But God knew that they had a greater need. They needed a savior at the heart level, at the spiritual level. They needed to be freed physically, yes, but they also needed to be freed spiritually. And that is what God is doing right now in Mary's story. The Messiah is one who has come to rule as king, but not as the king expected. See, Jesus is going to be born. He's going to live. He's going to carry out a ministry. And then he's going to go to the place where he's going to die. And he's going to die in our place for us. We're, we're sinful. We're like the people at the time of Judges. We go our own way. We want to do our own thing. We, we're going kind of against the way that God wants things to be. And it's messing everything up. And we operate in, in, in evil and brokenness. Like this is, this is the way we are as human beings. We do it this way. But God shows us mercy in Jesus. That Jesus takes on all of that stuff, puts it on his shoulders, and puts it to death so that we can have mercy from God. No longer does this have to be our story where we're, we're countered like all of these things, like it ca characterizes us. No, like he shows us mercy. He gives us a way forward. He gives us a way out. He shows us mercy in 
Jesus. Our greatest need is met by him. He shows us mercy. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he offers us. He offers us mercy to the greatest degree. There is ultimate mercy found in Christ. And this is why we can have joy. I'm, I'm mindful of, of Hebrews 12.2, and maybe you're familiar with this verse, but it, it talks about how Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And notice, the joy set before him, he goes through the cross. He goes through all the junk, all the hardship, all of that death kinds of stuff. For what? For a joy. That joy is us. That joy is a restored relationship he can have with us. That is what motivated him. He knew what he was doing. He knew like the work that he was about to accomplish. This brought him joy in the midst of heartache, hardship, death itself. He would be extending us mercy to bring joy. That's what Jesus came to do. And when we receive this, we are marked by it. We are changed by it. It transforms everything. It moves us from a state of happiness, a feeling based on external circumstances, to an internal, deep state of being. Because this is who we are now. This is what we have received. We have received grace and salvation from Jesus. This is what happens when we receive his mercy. I don't know if you remember the story. It's a bit of a tragic one, but also a beautiful one. So back in 2006, do you remember the, the school shooting at the Amish community? There was a gunman who came into a small Amish town, and there's a one-room schoolhouse for this little community of, of Amish families, and, and he goes in and he, and he kills five of the students, ages 6 to 13. All of them were girls, it happened. To, and he shot five others, but they survived. But like this, this was a tragedy. It happened in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Do you remember what happened right after it? I mean, as soon as like, the event occurred, not even like 24 or 48 hours later, that Amish community rallied for the family of the gunman, visited his wife and his kids, his parents, and they extended forgiveness and mercy. And their messaging was so consistent. It's like, he is a person. He has a soul just like us. And we're all broken, we're all sinful, we're all in need of the Lord's mercy and grace. And so we extend that to you. We're hurting, we, we're, we've lost our, our, our community, we've lost members of our families, like kids have died, and yet we extend you mercy. That's what happens when we're marked by what God has done in Jesus. It's such a radical kind of thing. This kind of mercy transforms us. It turns things upside down. That is what God can do when we experience his mercy. So we get ultimate mercy in Jesus. And it leads to joy. So what does that actually look like? Like how do we actually embody that? How do we rest in this joy that comes because of what God has done? So I have three thoughts for you, and so here's what I'd offer as a response for us to live in this kind of joy. First, dwell on it. Like dwell on this joy, dwell on the mercy, dwell on what God does. 
saturate yourself in it. Think on it. Like, allow this to permeate all of your life. Because I think when we begin to dwell on it, it begins to allow us to see things differently. We begin to, to understand life a little bit differently. When we're dwelling on what God has done for us, when we're chewing on it, it permeates everything else. It shapes everything else that, that we do, that we say, the way that we operate. So I think we're, we're to dwell on it. We're to dwell on the story. We're to dwell on what God has done for us. Chew on it. Allow the mercy to lead you to joy. Dwell on it. I think that then leads to number two, gratitude. Be grateful. I think if we're dwelling on what God has done, if we see it, if we're, we're saturated in it, we should offer it back to the Lord. Like express it to him. Say, yep, Lord, here is what I'm thankful for. And even just take 10 seconds as you start your day. Like here's one thing, Lord, that I just want to say thank you for. Or, or do that for 15 minutes. Or do that like sporadically throughout the day as things like come up to you or plan it. Like begin to say thank you to God for what you have, for how he's been good, for where you see it. And I guarantee you, the more you begin to do this, the more it's going to change your mindset. I look back on my own life where I've had periods of, of gratitude where I've just intentionally pursued that, maybe in a deeper way, and I just see how it shaped me, how, like, man, that was just a good season. Like, I think back and it's like, wow, there was a lot of joy there. And then I compare that to seasons where I just wasn't expressing gratitude, where I wasn't living in that. And it just feels like, hmm, I'm just, there wasn't as much to be grateful. There wasn't much joy. Like, see what that does? It allows us to see and experience differently. So I encourage you, express gratitude to God. Just little short prayers. Thank you, God, for this. And you will begin to see more things to be grateful for. It will begin to cultivate joy inside of you. That's number two. Number three, express it to other people. Express your joy to other people. I, I think joy is to be one of the distinguishing marks of the Jesus follower. Like when we are carrying on in life, people should see a couple of things in us, and one of those is joy. I think they should see this and say, like, there's something about that person that I don't get. Like, there's a happiness, yeah, but it's better or deeper than that. Like, things are hard for them, yet they're still joyous. Like, how can that be? When we express our joy, when we share it with other people, they're going to notice because this is not the way our world works. We don't operate in joy. We operate in happiness, which is contingent based on circumstances. But when we operate in joy, people are going to notice. So those are my three suggestions for how do we respond to this state of being in joy? It's dwelling on it. It's gratitude, and it's expressing it. But here's the bottom line. God gives us joy through Jesus. This is what the journey of the follower of Jesus is all about. It's characterized by joy. And so we want to ask each week a question. And so the question this week that I want to throw out to you is what is our ultimate source of joy? It's him. It's him. He changes everything. He sees you. He does good things for you. And that ultimate good thing is salvation, the mercy that he grants to us. What is our greatest source of joy? It's him.